Hi everyone, I'm Jonathan Corrie, co-founder and CEO of Precursive. Welcome along to the Precursive Perspective, our podcast where we sit down with some of the leading minds across customer success and professional services. In each episode, I speak with people involved in scaling companies of all sizes, from hyper-growth startups to mid-market SaaS, all the way through to enterprise technology and communications companies, as well as, of course, uh, members of the investment and VC community now. And we explore how the best companies succeed in this continually evolving services delivery ecosystem with uh, special guests also including my two dogs, Cosmo and Ace, uh, my kids, Frank and Artie. Frank now famous for pulling his tooth out live on one of the shows. Uh, now, before we get into today's episode, in case you didn't know, spoiler alert, Precursive is the leading services delivery cloud for Salesforce. We combine award-winning task and resource management with easy-to-use professional services automation. Uh, built on the force.com platform, uh, we're 100% Salesforce Lightning native, which means you can better align your sales and delivery teams, automate project admin so that your staff get time back to focus on driving outcomes and value for your customers. We believe very deeply that there is a direct correlation between faster time to value and retention. So bridging that gap between sales and success is priority one for Precursive. So let's get into today's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Precursive Perspective. Uh, I'm Jonathan Corrie, co-founder and CEO of Precursive. And today, delighted to be joined by uh, my new friend who I met at the Gainsight Conference, or my new uh, Working network friend, Mike Osborne, who is the <laughs> VP of Customer Success at Advanced. How are you, Mike? I'm very good, and thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And where in the world are you today? South London, I think? Yeah, I'm in Clapham, so not too far from you. So uh, it's about a 20-minute drive, and it was a glorious hot day today, and the roof terrace is right there, and I'm stuck here. So it's uh, <laughs> looking forward <laughs> to today being over with a beer in the sun. Yeah, yeah. Good stuck here talking to you about customer success there we go uh awesome well listen um for those that, that don't know maybe you can give us a little bit of a background to who advanced are and then the scope of your role there and then uh perhaps prior to that a little bit about your your career history if you don't mind of course happy to so we always say advance is one of the biggest uk companies no one's really ever heard of so we have about 145 different odd products across different sectors we sell a lot of mission critical software for the nhs for legal markets for education sports and ticketing we have erp products financial products um, people management products so we cover a lot of areas and what our play is, so often we sell in machine critical software into those specified verticals. And then we try and cross sell a lot of our horizontal products, which are kind of market agnostic. Okay. Um, so NHS 111, we provide a lot of the software for that, just kind of the case management yep. side of things. Um, pretty much every law firm, every GP practice will use our software. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I remember seeing your logo when my, uh, my dear mother was in uh, recovery at Ward uh in i told you about that i think when i saw you um so yeah no I, I i was i was familiar with the brand i guess that's uh precursive could lay that claim to the the biggest small company that no one's ever heard of so we'll uh, we've got something in common there um and then and then prior to this i mean i i was really interested when we met you were sort of talking a little bit about your background in, in m a for example so can you give us a little bit of 
what are some of the things you've been doing prior to the, the current role as, as VPCS? Yeah, so why don't I start kind of nearer the beginning and then kind of work for some there and kind of how yeah, I cool. So I actually started uh, a company called Glencore, which a few people heard of. So they did the yep. biggest site in the history of the world. It was quite interesting. And then they did the uh, Extrata merger. And I was there really working within their finance team. Um, as part of that kind of change management, we put in SAP system, which is for those who are being involved with an SAP implementation, it's a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that was really quite interesting. And when they did the Extrata merger, um, Deloitte actually came in and I got a little bit involved and in you start to understand the best practices behind integrating companies. And I got to know them really well and eventually I went to join them. So I went over to the dark side of consulting um, and it's quite fascinating in a sense of when you do integration consulting a lot of companies when you get consultants say okay so why are you coming and tell me how to do my job but because you're advising on integration this is not their norm so they're really kind of quite helpful and kind of they're really keen that you come in and show them how to do this because you're not telling them how to do the job you're telling them how to think about their job with a whole new company coming and doing the same thing Mm-hmm. And I got you know, involved in a few you know, really interesting transactions. So uh, Miller Yogurts uh, acquired Dairy Crest. They took about a third of the UK's milk supply. Yep. Uh, trying to make um, the dairy in- industry profitable. So I think for people's awareness, 1p on your milk bottle in the, in the supermarket equates to that's the only difference between profit and loss for that entire industry. Wow. Just tiny, tiny margins. Yeah. Um, I then was involved in Arm, the microchip company in Cambridge. They acquired a company called Apical. And again, it's kind of very interesting. There's all the light sensing on your, your iPhone. Um, Informa Pentons, the publishing company, so worked with them on their big merger. And uh, Wood Group's purchase of Amit Foster Wheeler. Right. So, so some big kind of you know, meaty FTSE 100 transactions. Yep. And really, you know, understanding the best practices behind bringing these companies together yeah and you know you asked me how i did that move from kind of mna integrations into cs and without putting a pun on it there's a lot of synergies between the two because truthfully in integration you have to work across product go to market or to cash people and culture as as well as the operational processes and systems and honestly, you have to do that in CS as well. You have to work across the business to bring success to your clients. So it's probably a slightly different focus, but some of the activities, some of the things you're thinking about are very similar. And I, I actually, I, I found the jump not too hard because I was still doing some of the same stuff I was doing before. So as I was integrating Wood Group, I was up in Aberdeen and some personal circumstances meant I wanted to reduce my traveling. And I was doing a lot of it as a consultant and, uh, I got a phone call from this headhunter going, would you be interested in interviewing for this role? And they go, okay, what's tell me about it? Software, great, my family's with software mad, so yeah, let's be very interested in that. Yeah. You've never heard of the company. Well, who is it? Yeah. You've never heard of it. Oh, it's advanced. That's interesting. My cousin works there. So he was really yeah, disappointed yeah, yeah. because he can get the referral fee for me joining uh, advanced. But again, <laughs> I we, uh, I came and interviewed, it was, you know, went well, I joined the company and I ran the kind of the integration team for a few years and we kind of took over from kind of due diligence through to deal completion and, and through to integration. I'm working very closely with um, a corporate dev director who's amazing at finding the right companies for us to look at and you know, getting that deal kicked off. 
um, and then really working with the MDs of the different divisions to bring success to those acquisitions as they came on. And then yep. about March last year, I got a phone call from my CEO going, Mike, going to do this. We need someone to run it. What's your thoughts? You up for it? And I went, yep. yeah, why yeah. not? Cool. No, I like it. I like it. I mean, I, I always think that um, people like myself, I've got a diverse background and worked in different industries and I always wanted to do something new. And I think everyone that I talk to, I find that I get on quite well with people who've got that mix of backgrounds. Um, there's a chap who's on, on this show recently from, uh, he's the VP of PS at a company called Tracelink, which is a uh, supply chain pharma um, proposition. Uh, and he worked in retail um, where he learned a lot of process discipline, a lot of margin discipline, again, thin margins. And I think that, that appreciation of efficiency and operational efficiency when you work in different industries and you bring that into software where traditionally there are higher margins, right? That's why a lot of people like software. Um, but those margins can really be eaten away if you don't spend your time the right way uh, as a business. So no, it's super interesting. And and so now I think you were just telling me you've got, prior to starting, you've got nearly 100 people now in, in your group. Is that, is that right? Well, not, no, no, no. So um, we, I think, Going backwards, we uh, so March last year there were five people in customer success when I took over the team. Okay, we're about yep. sixty-five people now, and by end wow. of the financial year, um, we'll be closer to that hundred. And it's you know the you know the scaling CS at that sort of pace and trying to do it in a way that drives outcomes and you know the, the right stuff is being <laughs> interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I bet, I bet. Well, you've got a very diverse portfolio as well, right? So like. It's, you know, scaling CS when you've got one product selling into, you know, mid-market or SMB is very, very different to when you've got corporate, government, SMB, mid-market enterprise clients. That's a very different animal to, to build. What have been some of the key learnings so far for you? Curious. A lot. Yeah. Uh, I think it's <laughs> where do you start? Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, if you looked at it, backwards you go well duh of course you should have done that but yes. truthfully you know for those who are listening who are going through this i think a few things i'll take away from it so you know, it's very easy to go well this product's got this amount of revenue or this amount of customers of course it should have cs why wouldn't you do that yep but forgetting actually what is a custom success manager associate whatever you, you know you're, you're, how you're calling them what are they going to do with their clients so, for example, if I give an example of a payroll solution, it's pretty binary. You're either using it or you're not. That I call adoption piece. Custom success can't really influence that. So what are the actual things that see customers, customers, you're going to do to be effective for that customer and make an impact to that customer? So a lot of the stuff in payroll, we're not advising on how to adopt the solution. We're using our market knowledge, we have an amazing people experience team at Advance who actually rebranded HR to people experience. And some of the best practices they brought in for Advance were sharing with our clients. So really thinking about actually what can they do to have an impact on their customers so they get great value and service from us as a company. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, you're looking at revenue. Yes, you're looking at number of customers, but also, well, how can I affect that? Because the truth is if your product's pretty binary, your impact you could have could be minimal. So how much focus are you going to put on it? Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, the other one is, I um, you and I have discussed before, about packages, around service packages. Mm -hmm. So we've got 
know, advance, you know, if I take one of our as a business uh, legal forms, we have three and a half thousand clients who averagely pay us about £2,000 per customer. So we've mm-hmm. built kind of packages around, built kind of around digital success, but also with some people intervention when required up to point of renewal and stuff like that. So you have these custom success associates are kind of graduate entry who really giving that, you know, high volume, low touch approach. And then we've scaled that into different packages. And because we've introduced customer success, not just on our SaaS customers, our cloud customers, but some of our on-prem customers too, mm-hmm. they've suddenly got customer success. And what we're trying to do is then sell the enhanced packages where they get a customer success manager, they get 24-hour support. We built these packages in coordination with the other functions. Mm-hmm. So it's another kind of value-add service we can bring to our customers. And how have clients reacted to that? How have they reacted to you introducing this to them in I general? Think it's, and the customers who are receiving it really love it. And we're getting great mm-hmm. feedback and we can see, you know, retention is this significant yep. improvement. And that's kind of right. what, how I've got the further investment this year to take us up to, to near 100. Yep. Um, where the challenge is, is, you know, for if I take one of our businesses, we've uh, our FMS products, we've got about 900 clients there. Some of them pay hundreds of thousands. Some of them pay five grand. So even though it's the same product, it's a very vast difference in kind of profile of margin you'll get from the transaction and the deal and what you want to do with it. So really, you know, even within that community of customers and those customers do get together, we are giving a slightly different tailored approach. Mm -hmm. So the customers who are receiving it are loving it. The mm-hmm. customers, we're going, actually, you know, it doesn't make sense for us to give you that level of service. We're trying to do it with digital success, but and we are getting better at it. But the truth is it will never be as good as someone picking up a phone and having a conversation. Yeah. And yeah. You know, if one customer speaks to another customer, well, why are they getting that I'm not? Well, that's why. So we built these packages to say, well, actually, if you want it, you can have it. You've got to pay for it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What, what, any, other, any other learnings you want to share? Or- um. The planning a customer strategy is key. So we have yep. um, we have our on-prem solutions. That are like a lot of our software providers, you want that route to cloud or you already at the cloud level. Some <laughs> yep. of our customers are on a legacy, what we theme it as a legacy product. It's still a good product, but there's a plan for them to move to the cloud. But the truth is some of the on-prem solutions are heavily bespoke. So even yep. though you've built a new cloud offering this tends to be a little bit more generic one size fits all so you really have to upfront and recognize actually how much of this base customers can move to this new cloud offering we've got and how many can't and unless, unless you segment that exactly the especially the digital success side the content you'll send to them you may end up you know, pissing them off more because it's not applicable to them so yeah you, you, you could be too, trying to do the right thing and really getting their backs up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you, you end up with a, a different type of, it's not technical debt, it's customer success debt, which is like the, the buildup of, um, you know, documentation that's required to, to, you know, to support the on-premise yeah. products versus SaaS. And then what do you invest in terms of those learning journeys? So now I, I, I hear you there. I mean, given your... Um, you know, given your background, a lot of your previous roles would have been looking at businesses through various different lenses, one of which being sort of operational efficiency, let's say, right? So how, how well run is a, is a business? That's very much at the, like, if you look at the public cloud markets, if you look at the stock market, 
that's much more in vogue now than it was in January, for example, um, which I think is a good thing. I mean, when we when I originally pitched our investor, one of the first words or phrases out of my mouth was fiscal responsibility. And I could notice that only certain types of investors like even listened to that or cared about it, right? The 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 VC gilet boys, as I called them, you know, they didn't give a shit. Um, and 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 the private equity funds, one of which we we took investment from, did. So I think it, it's it's definitely much more in vogue. What did that experience teach you about building for scale? Because you've you've hinted at some of it already around the this these packages helping to pay for itself. So I guess that's one. But what 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 are some of the things there? I it's not like working for your boss. You always have to prove the investment, right? Everything yeah. you do should yeah. have a business case and understanding. So for CS, yeah. it's retention is key, gross retention. It's the yeah. net retention you're driving. It's the lead yeah. generation. It's the NPS, it's customer sentiment. And it's also the multi-year agreement profile. So yeah. in, if you can directly correlate the CS investment to an improvement or a maintaining or something that you think is diminishing, yeah then you can prove it over time. So I had our board meeting a couple of months ago and one of the very first things I did is I said, look, this is the activity you're doing. This is the return of investment, the cost you've put in so far. And this compounds year on year. So I showed the compound effect of that and what we're trying to achieve this year. This is what it looks like in three years time. And this is what it means for the investment case in the business. Okay, cool. Like that, tick, tick, tick. But you just got to talk about it in a language that your investors understand. Yep. If you start talking about customer health and sentiment these are all good things but to be honest people are shit yeah they really want to know how it yeah. rolls up into the top and bottom line and they also want to know that you're doing it in a manner which is sensible so they will look at the a, a, kind of average order value of that client base they'll look at the number of customers and they'll go and they'll look they'll understand the plan for that customer in a kind of a profiled segmented way mm. if your story of what you're investing correlates with what the outcomes are you're expecting for that kind of cohort of customers. Mm. Yep. It just, it's just got to make sense. Yep. But I would yep. always do it from a how does what the activities you're doing lead to an outcome in that investment. Yeah, 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 true. Yeah, I mean, you, you have a lot of exposure to board, but also to the investor who's very active on your board, right? And I think uh, like, like happy customers is partly why the investor invested in the first place, right? Because you told them that you have those things. <laughs> so, so they're like, yeah, yeah, we, we know that. Uh, yeah. um, what, um, I, if you think about then this kind of multi-product cross-industry acquisitive company, how does that like manifest in challenges for your CS team? Because I'd imagine it's like a spider's <laughs> spider's web in a way. It keeps growing. It does, and it continues to grow. So, I mean, we do about six M&A deals a year. Right. And in some ways, you know, you know, that's amazing because every six, every couple of months, you've got a new technology, new market, yeah. new product to understand. And also, let's say you've got a happy customer. It's getting great value. You still want to speak to them. What are you going to speak to them about? Suddenly, you've got, oh, yeah, we've done this. This is cool. Let's go speak to you about yeah. that. Um, yep. th those those bits are bit. I think the spidergram becomes difficult because I can get, I can tell you now, well, not every single piece of our software talks to another piece of our software. Some of it does very well, some of it mm. doesn't at all. Mm. When a customer buys a product from us, they automatically think it's going to integrate very lovely with the product they've already got. 
And when you've got 145 of them, that's not going to be the case. Now, some of them do work really well together, don't get me wrong, but you just sometimes have to manage the expectations. And also, you know, if you talk about integration challenges, that's one of the very first ones. You get a new product, the sales team want to sell it straight away. But yep. those systems are not talking to each other. Yep. So I mean, that's something to manage. And I think with any company of this scale, with this many products, managing customer expectations on what's going to work well together and what's not mm-hmm. is clear. And also being a bit more controlling of your sales team to make sure that they throw us a curveball with what they promise the customer. Yeah, we, we face an interesting version of that, which is like we're we're native, we're force.com native. So <clears throat> we when we work it with larger companies that are more certainly more tech savvy about the Salesforce platform, they they understand that um, you know, Salesforce can do a, a large number of things and therefore you can kind of integrate our application with various other applications. Like today I was asked about what you know a customer wants to integrate precursive with DocuSign, right? So they they do a timesheet, goes into our billing solution, you know, the invoice goes out via DocuSign, which is the document generation solution that they have. Now that's that's great because it gives you such an opportunity and you're part of a bigger ecosystem. But again, when you get into bigger companies, you've then got so many moving parts behind the scenes. The customer success has to be aware of, the customer support has yeah. to be aware of that needs to be well tracked and documented and all of these things. And, you know, it starts to become difficult to do push upgrades because you've got you know, three or four applications all working together. So I, I, I hear that. Does that mean, though, that for a typical CSM, you're sort of you're thinking about how many kind of products you put into their bag or or do they do they get access to that or does that all go through sales? Like what so happens? Makes- so we mainly go through sales. We have a right. we have a lead generation process. So the customer success recognizes there is an opportunity. They can put a lead into Salesforce, and if they close one, they get compensated on a small amount just to drive a little bit of incentive. But they don't have targets yep. on it. And the right. reason they don't have targets on it because it drives the wrong outcomes, behaviors. I want them focused on customer adoption and sentiment, not going around being another salesperson. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the. One of the big challenges we have with this kind of multi-product, multi-discipline, multi-market is we have, let's say a customer's got three products. I don't really want to give them three customer success managers or experts yeah. on those three products. So yeah. we almost try and build, this is the primary relationship holder. This is the primary product for that customer. And we pull in the expertise when we need to, to drive adoption for those other areas. Yeah. As soon as you have multiple CSMs and multiple account managers, that kind of who's actually ultimately responsible for this, who's accountable for making it happen. It could be other people involved, but you still need to have put someone's not neck on the line saying, actually, that is your customer. You are responsible mm. for it. Yeah. And um, you know, there's no kind of well, it's not my product area. So that is your customer. Yeah. Yeah, there's a delicate balance, isn't there, between sort of that commercial acumen that they would have, like you're talking about, you don't want them to be salespeople, and then the balance of that with domain expertise, like understanding the world of the customer, and also like product knowledge if they've got loads of loads of different products. It's a bit, hey, what's your dog's name? He agrees, uh, Winston, or she agrees. Winston, he's getting angry. <laughs> mine are doing 
this at the moment. <laughs> no, you can't see. There we go. That's how you, that's like dog world is a lot more simple, isn't it? Upside down, lying on a hot summer's day. No, I think, yeah. I think that, that like they're almost, um, so are you almost sort of thinking about them as they're like the orchestra, they're the um, conductor of the orchestra, if you will? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think we, I think on your, on your previous uh, pause, you talked about being the, the ultimate kind of orchestrator facilitator to bring that service yeah. to a customer. And there yeah. is a bit of that. So I think there's, in my world, there's two areas of customer success too. There is the driving adoption and value and outcomes to customer. That is one part. Yeah. And there's also the facilitator to make it successful across the other areas. We are, you know, you like driving the orchestra to yeah, make yeah. sure that the yeah. customer receives the service that's expected for them. Yep. Yep. Yeah. They're also an interpreter, <laughs> I think. <laughs> I just got a message right now from one of our CSMs saying, hey, talking to this customer, and they said they were on a call with you two months ago, and you said that this thing is on the roadmap. What 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 actually was said? <laughs> and I'm like, well, that wasn't quite what I said to them, but it's not recorded. So now, now they've got to be the interpreter of what the client wants, what I said, where does it meet in the middle, and, and some of these things. So I'm thinking the interpreter might be another uh, attribute. The mediator between the, the business and the customer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so looking then at this, like, like sort of unpacking some of this again. I'm kind of fascinated by the the M and A background. You talked about this, you know, this cross-functional having to work cross-functional. Was there anything else that kind of you felt gave you a unique perspective coming into CS, like more of that like out outside world perspective coming into I the world of CS? I think it's probably how I look at the business. Mm -hmm. So if you kind of, if you've built your career up through CS, you've learned about delivering great value and adoption. You've learned about how to manage relationships, how to deal with customers. That's the bit you started with and you built your career upwards from there. Yeah. My kind of viewpoint is I always start at the very top of the business, the financials, results, what's going on. And I will quite easily just look at P&L and go, oh, we've probably got their problem in that area of the business. So I'll look at financial results and try and, look at what, what, what are the operational aspects that's causing that problem rather than a lot of viewpoints often look, looking the other way going what are the things that are happening how is it having an impact on the financial results so quite often when I'm looking at areas of the business I start with the P&L the financial results the bookings waterfall everything that's going on in that way and then work backwards to okay and then what's going on what do I need to do about it yep. so I mean if I think about so I was looking at one area of the business I know has SaaS migration. One of the very first we're looking at is the revenue lines and how much is in maintenance, how much is in subscription. Okay, how much have we got less to do? If, if is what's left over the bit that we can't actually graduate to this new cloud product. So have, am I just expecting that maintenance line just to fall away over a period of time? Because there's nothing else we can do about it. Mm -hmm. You know, if we've got um, as we've migrated to SaaS, you've got a lot more embedded implementation, embedded services revenue. So you'll start seeing that services line just drop away, drop away. Is that expected? Is that the right thing to do? And really, are we not selling enough if the project's overrunning? I, I'll quite happily look at a P&L and determine back what operation is the right thing to do. I think that's a different perspective to a lot of people who perhaps have worked their way up through kind of the CS ladder. Yep. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, we one of the um, a very useful piece of training that we gave to our our, our team was um, a guy called Dave Jackson. Did a uh, who's a, a a great contributor to the CS community. Did this SaaS financial acumen training, so teaching people about you know P and L, 
SaaS business models, all the financial components of them. Um, how how do you, is there a version of that then that you've sort of embedded in your, or do you think that there's a version of that that, that companies should embed for their training of CSMs? Because like understanding or teaching people business acumen takes a lot of time and it takes patience and it doesn't just happen overnight. But allowing someone to sort of look at a company and say, what's their business model? How do they make money? What does this latest announcement mean? And working back from that, is, is, there, thing, is there more that companies can do to simplify that so people can, in customer success, build business acumen a little bit more easily, th- perhaps? Or, or what I think so. And also, I think just for people's personal development, I think mm-hmm. it's if people want to grow their careers up, eventually you're going to have to know this stuff. <laughs> so we, yeah. you, know, you can't not do it so i think it's absolutely imperative that you put we have boot camp trainings where we touch on this and my directors and i we talk about it quite a lot mm. i think the so the you need to be careful is what role that person is doing if you've got mm. a, a csm on the ground you know truthfully unless you're talking about this stuff consistently they're going to forget it about it after a period of time yeah. So I think it's, yeah. you know, as you're getting to more team manager, director level, absolutely you should focus on it to really help them accelerate their career development. The other one is the market we're serving. So we have a lot of FMS products. So actually I've sent two CSMs now on their SEMA course, the Chartered yeah. Institute Management Accounting. Not because yeah. they want to be accountant, because they want to be able to talk to their customers in the languages the customers understands and what's important to them. So yeah. that's actually training financial acumen just to help them talk to the language of the customer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a double-edged sword to that as well. <laughs> I was talking to the, the former VP of PS and CS at Sage, and he'd just come off a harrowing call, as he described it, with a, with, a, with a customer where he was trying to explain to the customer the support team were not, in fact, accountants. <laughs> um, and that, uh, you know, and, and that that frustration being there he's like we're actually a software company but just just final thing then on on the the M&A piece then so when many companies are looking to scale and they're looking to grow you know some might be looking to IPO and but many might be looking simply for for an exit to sell their business so why from an acquirer perspective is customer success so important I mean I thought it was a few bits but if you are an investor in a company, you want to know that the company has legs. It's not that, especially if it's a more, to, more of a startup company, they want to know you're not the fad of the month that's just going to die away in a few months' time. So you know, the more customers you can have on long-term multi-year agreements, the more they're comfortable they are about that revenue is protected. Mm-hmm. Yep. The more you can show good NPS, the more you can show good CSAT, the more it's SaaS revenue they're far more interested in the company, which is why SaaS companies get such high multiples because that's, there's that kind of protection of revenue going forward. Mm-hmm. So yep. you know, if you can directly correlate, and this is a bit I was talking about earlier where you go, well, actually, if I can directly correlate the activity customer success are doing to the retention outcomes to kind of, this is what we was before, this is what we've done, and this was what it is now, tell that story. Mm-hmm. It becomes very clear to your CEO and the business why CS is imperative for the valuation of their company. Yep. But yep. I mean, for, from an investor looking in, I'd be certainly looking to maximize my recurring revenue and my multi-year agreements because they're going, well, actually, my risk profile for this company is falling away. Mm. Yep. 
there are though there are those some in in CS who don't who perhaps own the relationship with the customer, but they aren't are not accountable for the revenue, e.g., the renewal, which I find strange. Um, we certainly don't do it that way, and I know many many don't, but many do. Um, and and I think that correlation point that you make is is so important, right? It's like these are the things that we're doing, and this is how it impact influences revenue. If you don't actually aren't accountable for the revenue, that argument begins to be almost like eroded. What 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 do you think of that dynamic in the in the CS marketplace? I mean, our model is you know CS is responsible for retention of the customer, so that certainly right. helps. But the yeah. for those who aren't, you know, you should be any company should always be continuously looking at going. Are we doing the right thing? So as a you know, if you're running the CS team, if you can't continuously answer why that you exist and yep. why any part of the business should exist, then you're not doing the right thing. You should always be ready and willing to show this is the outcome we've achieved for the business, for the work we've done and the investment the company's put into the resource they have. If you yep. can't answer that, and truthfully, you're not doing your job because as a leader in that area, you should always be able to answer that. Yep. Yep. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Cool. Well, one last last couple of things then to talk about. Thank you. Very very interesting so far. I think there's I think there's a few very. I'm I'm I love the language that we get out of this show. I think language is so important in 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 one of the things that really interests me into how people talk about it. And so I think there's a few few insights today. One of them is thinking about that how binary is your product? Like you're either using it or you're not. Um, I do think that there's sometimes and. Like maybe there's also an in-between, right? So we we have a solution where you can do multiple things in it. Let's say you can do resourcing, you can do time tracking, you can then manage margin, you can manage revenue, for example. But if someone doesn't do something when they should, those other things don't work as well as they should, right? So for example, if someone doesn't track things accurately, you don't get an accurate view of your margin, for example. Yeah. Um, so I guess there's maybe there's there's a there's an in between on like how, but it's I, I think it's definitely binary though going down to like what feature is some what is someone yeah. using, uh, and and that's really interesting. I, I think the the piece that you were talking about around, and I, I'm really a deep believer in this, like how how are you become much more like self funding in CS, right? Of CS being looked at much more of like a profit center and creating packages because actually, as you described customers are encouraged by those things they that's an extension of their team they're willing to pay for it it gives them comfort uh it gives them structure it gives them a throat to choke arguably um and i think just that idea of like making sure that you're paying for paying for yourself is what i think more uh mature let's say financially mature folks in cs do um so that that's very cool now let's look a little bit finally then at, at some of the, the metrics piece because you guys are like us, backed by private equity. Um, Vista is a, a well-known firm for their, their passion around data uh, in, in a number of ways. What are kind of some of the metrics that matter for you, like some of those leading lagging indicators that you look at? Uh, interesting. And again, we've done a, a load of work on this. And I've got a great operations team led by Phil Hennessy who kind of drives that. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, a lady called Sherry in our team has done a fantastic job working on our new customer health score. Yep. And I like to think we've done it in a slightly different way to kind of what's normal. Okay, uh, cool. Um, so 
what we've done is effectively we've built three scores. It's around adoption, yep. it's around engagement, and it's around the performance of the account. So right. each of those builds up a kind of a health score. And that's, now that's pretty normal. It's nothing rocket science. Uh, you've got three different elements that we measure. Um, the adoption piece comes out of Pendo, where we've got our cloud products, where we've got on-prem solutions, where we have customer success. They'll kind of score the customer on how well they're using that solution. Engagement, we've got open rates of documents. How long was the last meeting they've had? When Have they raised tickets? Have they had a yes. sizable opportunity? And we have performance around age of debt on the account, various kind of loads of metrics. So let's say there's 50 metrics in total, as okay. example. Yeah. And all the, you know, the problem is we've got so many different products. For some products, we may only have 10 metrics. They all may be looking really positively green, but we've only got 10. Whereas other ones, we may have 50 metrics that are all looking bad. So we have a health score, but we've also done is built a confidence score. And, we, and it's the confidence score is actually really having a quite good impact. And the way that works is saying, well, if I've only got 10 metrics, how confident can I be in this health score? And how much weighting do I put to it? And therefore, okay. if, our, if our confidence is low, what can we do to go and find out, probably as scale, like through digital success, through surveys, whatever it is, yep. to try and get a position on that customer? Yep. We've got about you know, 26,000 customers, so trying to do anything man-marked is quite difficult. Yep. yep. Um, so that confidence was really helping us. And if you think you plot that on a grid, what you've got is you have a profile of customers yep. against confidence and how what's happening in the next quarter okay these 10 look good don't really know let's do this exercise and really think at that segmentation piece i talked about earlier it's another way of segmenting customers that actually drives some big activities that we do to have an outcome that works and that, i think that confidence was really helping with that no, that, I think that's great because I think um, it's it's kind of the qualitative with the quantitative. The quantitative is coming from the data source. The qualitative is coming from the customer success organization. And I think most companies don't really fully appreciate that green accounts churn, yeah. right, uh, all the time. Well, do they all the time? It, it happens, right? Not all the time, but it definitely happens. And, and you know, there's always this surprise of like, oh, shit, well, how did that happen? Um, and, and, and we, we had one, we had one, it was a sm smaller account, but we had one, um, and it, 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 if it would have been driven much more, if the confidence had been involved, we would have been less confident about it, not because of the use case or the value, but just because of the, the business model, how the business model had changed in that company and the product that they were using. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and like our confidence about that scenario was like, this isn't right. They're, they're, they were going to go this way and develop more professional services. They're going this way and then they're just doing this kind of like other 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 approach to onboarding. That's not us. We're here. So I, I like that. No, that's interesting. Um, and then the other cool. thing is then how to apply that into financial forecasting. So and this ah, okay. is what and how this do, is how what do you do that with difficulty. Um, <laughs> and a spreadsheet. <laughs> uh, a spreadsheet. Uh, no, uh, we're trying to do it in a manner that is systematic and we're and it's something we're working on at the moment. But if you think, right. you know, we've got all the win-all opportunities in Salesforce. Yep. So the customer success manager is putting their kind of forecast on what they think is going to happen. We've got all that directly links to the opportunity where we've got a cat manager owning something like a term license. Again, they're putting their forecast in. 
Yeah. Where we don't have people man marking account is when we're starting to look at what's happening with the health score and putting some kind of weightings to what we think is going to happen. So yep. you can't just go red means they're not, amber means maybe, green means good. You have to play a bit of a numbers game saying actually across the 1,000 customers, last year's retention was 89%. Mm-hmm. So the ones above and below this line, seeing what the trend is, how it looked last year to this year, how do we think it's going to move? So we start cohorting them up. Okay. Yep, but Understood. that starts to build a bit of a kind of waterfall forecast. What we think is going to happen for retention, right? Okay, cool. And I, I always think if you're going to own retention from a result basis, you should be providing a forecast basis. Yep, yep. Um, and, and what are the are there any other metrics that are that you guys are really focused on? Um, obviously, MPS is key. We do it every six mm-hmm. months. We yep. are trying to look at CSAP. So obviously, CSAP's done on the support standard. Mm-hmm. We're trying to look at how actually can we start doing CSAP on other areas of the business. So mm-hmm. yep. you know, my, my customer success managers every six months or after a period of engagement with a certain customer, there will be a CSAP score being sent out to ask them about how their CSM performed for them. They're mm-hmm. trying to do the same for accounts, management, and everything else. But from that, it almost goes into their own performance management around actually we think you're doing a job, good job, but your customers are also saying a good job. Well done. But that needs to go, it needs to be all together in terms of cohesive performance management. And that's CSAP power, the other thing. And because we use Pendo uh, on our cloud products, we can have like product engagement scores so we can see how well yep. their assistant talent is telling us they're using their product. But um, if you think about NPS, quite often you are, you are sending that to your relationship holder. You're not sending it to everyone who's using the product. Where tools like Pendo or games like PX is quite useful is this site, you know, you can survey everyone who's using the product and see how they think about it. And you can get some great insights into what they'd like better that goes into your roadmap, but also holistically, because if everyone on the ground is saying it's crap, just because you're best mates with the relationship holder at some point, it's it's going to change because they all hate it. So having that kind of insight from across everyone who's using the product versus just a few key individuals is, is quite it's very useful yeah no absolutely I, I think i think the lack of sometimes the lack of focus around like the end user fundamentally is is like not the lack of focus there but just the lack of appreciation as you say that you know you may have signed a three-year contract and you may get away with some adoption issues in year one but it's going to bite properly in year two when everyone starts blaming you if it's if if what you do doesn't provide value or if it's really clunky to use or these types of things, particularly if that's like it was something we discovered at, not early on, but we just knew the importance of it because a, a lot of services organizations are pyramid like, right? So you have a smaller management team at the top and then a very broad base of frontline staff who, if everyone is complaining every time they do a timesheet and everyone fucking hates timesheets anyway, but if everyone is complaining about it, even more so, like people find out about it, that's all they're talking about is is you. Um, and I think we've always kind of had that like end user first, like that's why we focused a lot on like ease of use and adoption, like being really important. But um, when you when you think about though, so like when you think about like the the overlay of like the financial metrics and and the CS metrics, like where where do you land in terms of things like you know ARR NRR like um, 
time to value and and these types of things do they do you own them in 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 your world i know nri is slightly different for vista but net revenue retention yeah. are these all are these all key kpis for you as well yeah absolutely we um yeah. especially net retention gross retention yeah. Time yep. to value is more in services. The kind of time to start is yep. a bit sales services. But yep. the, I think the bit that ties it all together, and there's actually a piece of work I'll talk about in a second, in a second but I mm. something I was thinking about is one of the things we are focused on is time to replace. Mm-hmm. So how, because we've got 145 different products and different scales, how easy is it for customer to get rid of us? Yeah. Because yep. that then defines our retention strategy, our renewal stuff, what communication goes when based on how. So we've got a, an FMS product. It doesn't matter if the renewal's in a year. They need to make that decision 18 months ago if they're going to replace us. Yeah, yeah. Whereas yeah. if you've got a non-mission critical, we've got performance management software, which is really great, but they can get rid of it in two months. They don't have to have it. It's not mission critical for their business. Mm-hmm. So we can have all these metrics, but also really thinking about the type of product it's servicing because... Mm-hmm. Just because AR looks good for that mm-hmm. product, for another mm-hmm. product, it's kind of meaningless because how quickly they can get rid of it if they want to. Yep. So I'm far more interested in actually adoption and how well they're using the product than I am actually some of the other metrics. So mm-hmm. you can have all these great metrics, but you really need to correlate it to the service product that's being provided. Yep, yep. Cool. Awesome. Well, listen, um, Mike, I greatly appreciate you coming on. Um, I think... I think one of the things you really expouse is this is really thinking through like this correlation. You've used the term a number of times, but really looking at like, for example, the business model, the finance, how does that correlate to my activities or how you correlate your activities to outcomes and how you're driving revenue. And and I think, you know, the importance of that from a customer success perspective, you described it as like, like good customer success is about the protection of the revenue. So um, I think some some very elegant ways to, to frame things. So thank you ever, much, ever so much for coming on. Well, thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Have a good day, sir. Thank you. You too.